find the clothing, the apparel that was supporting Loss's popularity. And in February of 2011, it was forced to file bankruptcy, Chapter 11. So the No Fear companies kind of went out of existence. So I'll tell you this story, and perhaps you're wondering in your mind, okay, what has the No Fear line of the clothing, this lack of success, have anything to do with the text we're going to turn to today in Isaiah? Well, the answer to that is that you simply cannot overcome fear. Because that's what we're talking about today, faith over fear. You simply cannot overcome fear by just putting on a t-shirt or hat or drinking some sort of energy drink made by Pepsi or Monster or NOS or anybody else. It just does not work that way. To overcome fear and to put it away takes something much more than just a style of clothing. Or maybe even having to put faith over fear in action requires so much more. In fact, today's text that we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 41, we're going to look at verses 8 through 14, reminds us of the central theme for today that if we are really serious about overcoming fear and putting it away, then we must learn to simply trust God and exercise our faith. Now, that is much, much easier said than actually to apply and do, which we'll get into today. But that is the key. If we're really serious about overcoming our fear and putting it completely away, then we must learn simply to trust God and exercise our faith. Now, as we make that statement, let us before we're reading, let us also consider this. That fear is a very common element in everyone's life. I mean, fear seems to exist even among different cultures around the world and diverse people groups and different nationalities. Fear is immune from, like, income a person may make. Their job makes no difference of what their fear may be. They could be rich or poor. You still couldn't have fear. It don't matter if you're man or woman, male or female. You can still have fear. It don't even matter according to age. Now, it can change according to your age, like, when I was younger, I might have been afraid of the dark. I no longer am. I got the fear now of drowning because I can't swim. But so fear is in our lives almost constantly, so it seems. So fear is something that nearly everyone in life faces at some point in their journey. Charles Stanley states there are six basic things that all of us are anxious about at one point or another. They are the fears of poverty, death, sickness, old age, criticism, and the loss of a loved one. Notice how he mentions there are fears that we have. And that doesn't even cover the fears. He mentions that he covered the fears like spiders and snakes, flying, public speaking, and of course, like I mentioned, swimming and drowning. I mean, it doesn't mention all those types of things, which is predominantly what a lot of fears are in people's lives. So having recognized then that fear seems to be predominantly in our lives as we're living, let us then consider a text that will maybe help us alleviate, hopefully alleviate the fear as we leave here later today, our fear has truly been eliminated. The text we have today is Isaiah chapter 41, again verses 8 through 14. We'll elaborate as we typically do a little bit on the text before we apply it. But so stand with me today as we do so to honor the reading of the word. Again, we're Isaiah chapter 41. We're going to start in verse 8. 
They're going to recognize verse 10, probably a very popular verse. Let's read verse 8 through verse 14. Verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, verse 11, all those who are incensed against you, and you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who declares, who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is a Holy One of Israel. Well, Father, Lord, we come before you today, Lord. Just thank you so much for a message we can have here today about how to help us eliminate and get away from the fear we may have in our lives. We're so thankful that Noah was here this morning to be able to illustrate and inspire us on how we can have faith over fear. Lord, it's not easy. Noah herself has had difficulty at times, Lord, exercising faith over fear. It's part of all of our lives. But Lord, today we're here to support her, to encourage her, and to help all of us and eliminate the fear we have over anything that may happen in our lives. So Lord, with that, we ask your spirit now to lead and guide and direct us, to touch our heart, Lord, and to help us today, Lord, eliminate the fear we have in our lives. Speak to us now, Lord. In the situation we're having here today, we know we may have come with some fear. So speak to us now, Lord, and alleviate our fear today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, it seems the most common ailment perhaps in people's lives is, repetitiously, fear. Certainly then, that was the case as we go back to the text and look at it with the people in Israel, with the Israelites. The section that we're in right here of Isaiah in chapters 40 through 66 may have been written near the last days or near the end of the prophet's life. Many suggest it's about 681 B.C. And at the very least then, most scholars believe that this section, particularly chapters 40 and 41, is when Isaiah speaks of events that will occur during the captivity of the Israelites. Now when I say captivity, I'm referring to the time in which the nation Israel, the people themselves, fall to the dreaded Assyrians. You may have heard some preaching and or teaching before about the Assyrians and how the nation Israel fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C. But it was a time of incredible fear for the Israelites. They had heard and fully become aware of the horrible tactics that's used by the Assyrians and the army that they used to divide and conquer nations and people. It's things like murder and rape and just intense violence that was common among the Assyrians. I mean, they were ruthless people. The army felt no remorse at all for inflicting things upon the people in the group. Today, while we are no longer faced with people like the Assyrians, I mean, 
God did eliminate the Assyrians. But by comparison purposes, we could refer to ISIS or maybe the Taliban or Al-Qaeda. Groups in the past that we've heard about or know that they use some similar type of tactics to be able to divide and conquer certain territories and lands and people. I mean, they thought nothing about killing innocent women and children. They thought nothing at all about human life except to accomplish their means. Now, is that misguided? Absolutely. Does it create fear and havoc among the people receiving such warfare? Most definitely it invokes fear. And it's actually very heartbreaking. Such it is today as we see on the news. I mean, every day you could turn on the news this morning, turn on the news a little bit before I came to church and found out that we are now in our third month of the Russian invasion into Ukraine. The war continues. Russia never thought the war would last this long. They thought it would be divide and conquer quickly. But every day we can turn on the news to see heartbreaking day in, day in, and day out. Heartbreaking stories of people who are being faced with all the things happening in Ukraine. I mean, it's not the barbarian tactics so much to be used by the Assyrians or by the Taliban or by Al-Qaeda or ISIS that we've heard about before, but still yet recognize how people are trying to flee these war-torn cities, and how all of a sudden uh, uh, something could happen in the city in the train station with men and women and children getting on a train and because they're there simply trying to flee the country, all of a sudden a missile comes in and they die. We see that all the time, too many times, with what's happening in Ukraine. Simply because they have fear, understandably fear, of what should happen if they remain. It's the unknown. And so they're simply trying to flee the country to go to Poland or any neighboring country because they fear what would happen if they stayed. But as we see that and can even sympathize them with Ukrainians, to some extent it's really hard to feel their fear. I mean, we're many, many miles from their danger zone. We're not in a war with Russia, so bringing that fear close to home is what we really need to do. Because, I mean, we can see it, but we can't feel it. We might can associate it a little bit, but we really can't feel the fear they're having. We can sympathize with it, but we simply don't completely feel the fear of someone attacking us in the way the Ukrainians have been faced with Russia. But nonetheless, we must recognize that many Americans fear terrorism or terroristic-type activity. It's a very intense fear with them. Not so much an advancement on our soil as maybe Russia has now with Ukraine, but that terroristic type of violence that just seems to find every day also in the news. If you don't see anything about Ukraine, you see something about a shooting seemingly somewhere in the country. In the past, we've seen it in schools. We've seen it more recently in a mall in South Carolina. We've seen it before in restaurants. Again, we saw it recently in a subway station in Brooklyn. There was a shooting a couple weeks ago in a concert in Dallas and a nightclub in Iowa. So it's just something that's always out there. And it seems to have a certain amount of fear on people because we know it certainly is possible. But in the day we lived before, if you're towards my age or something close to that, you know when we were in school, we never fathomed a school shooting. I mean, honestly, if I had my truck at school, like I did many different times in Princeton, 
I probably had my shotgun in my, school, in my truck with me. Or I carried a knife in school. Now you cannot do anything like that. Because it's so much possible that any day we can have all of a sudden an intruder come into the building. But in our day, we didn't fathom a possibility. Didn't even want to have, to have a fear of an intruder coming into the school when we were in school didn't even exist. We didn't on the horizon. But today that fear is so well known and so commonplace that teachers and employees of any school district will have to attend, is required for the teachers, for the school employees, to attend what's called Alice Active School Shooter Training. Alice. Alice is actually an acronym, which stands for Alert, Lockdown, Inform, Counter, and Evacuate. It is actually then, the idea is to protect the students that are school while trying to alert others that there is an armed intruder in the building. But that didn't happen during our day. But it happens so common today. And it can invoke fear. I mean, doesn't a, the thought of an armed intruder in our schools with our kids invoke fear in you? It certainly does. So with the question then looming then of how we, yeah, we can have, we don't think about it a whole lot, but we come in here probably today with some fear. So now recognizing the fact that we have some sort of fear in our lives, let's go back now to this text. We explained a little bit about it. Let's go back to the text now and begin to apply what Isaiah is telling the people of Israel as the Assyrians are threatening them, placing them in captivity. So go back to the text and we start again in verses 8 through 10. Again, it's addressed to Israel, as you see in verse 8, as a single person, it says, my servant Jacob. But it's not really addressed to an individual, it's addressed to the nation. And further, as it's addressed to the nation for the people themselves of Israel, in God's graciousness, he's included us as Gentiles into the word and to the kingdom, so we can readily apply these verses to our lives. So the very first thing we see then analyzing verses 8 through 10, specifically verse 10, is that we find that God is with us. It says at the very beginning of verse 10, fear not, for I am with you. Isaiah is speaking this, the words of God, to the Israelites, fear not for I am with you. But the very same thing applies to us in our lives, in our condition, wherever fear may be prevalent. He says, fear not for I am with you. It tells us that God is with us. Now over the years of Bible study and message preparation, verse 10, the key verse perhaps in this text, has become one of my favorite verses. I use it quite often as a verse to provide comfort and strength at funerals because it seems to be able to work that way. It, it, we have sadness and sorrow and pain, the grieving, mourning. And verse 10 can remind us that God is with us through it all. But even in the midst of everything happening in the grieving, mourning, sadness, sorrow, it also tells us at the same time that in our midst of having fear, God is still with us. In fact, he never leaves us. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. Now, you may have heard it said before, I haven't counted how many times the words fear not are honestly used throughout the Scripture, throughout the Bible, but you may have heard it said before 
that there are 365 fear nots written in Scripture. 365 fear not promises. Well, if that's true, that would equate to one per day. Now, obviously, we don't have 365 within the verses we read in Isaiah today. But notice how we do have three. We have one in verse 10, one in verse 13, and one in verse 14. Again, verse 10, fear not, for I am with you. Verse 13 adds, fear not, I am the one who helps you. And verse 14 says, fear not, I am the one who helps you again. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So we have three reminders within just a few verses today of Isaiah 41, reminding us to fear not. But while we then have such reminders, maybe three or 365, quite frankly, we have the reminders. But again, it's much easier said than done. So with that thought this week, I thought, that kind of presents a question. I mean, we have if, if there's 365 fear nots, I mean, it's almost written as a command if you look at it. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. It's almost as a command. So if there's 365 commands, if God is so diligent about wanting us to not fear not, if we don't follow the command, is that being disobedient? Is that a sin? I mean, the question looming here is, does God get disappointed in us if we fail to follow the command to fear not? That's a good question. Because none of us want to intentionally sin against God to disobey. So if he's telling us to fear not and we still have fear, are we disobeying? Are we sinning? Does he get disappointed in us if we still have fear and don't follow fear not? When that research to help answer the question I found an article written by Ann Peterson, who contributes to Crosswalk.com, a devotional site. And she said this, God does not want us to be consumed by fear. And yet our fears do not surprise him in the least. We need to realize that God is not disappointed in us when we have fears. No more than you are disappointed when one of your children is afraid or has a fear. And I read that and I thought, well, that seems to make sense. And Peterson's comment to me is helpful. It maybe even places fear in perspective. I mean, I can relate to my children having fear in their life. I mean, it, it starts at all different times of their life. But more specifically, I can remember that they have fear on the beginning of things, like the first of things. Like, the first day of school, the nervousness, a little fear sets in, again, of the unknown. Or the first time they go on their date, or the first time they go to prom, or their first the graduation, or even their first job or interview. They say you seem to have a fear and nervousness. So I can relate to have a parent of having the children to have some fear. Perhaps we all can. Mostly because we've also been there. And I can also remember then that I was not disappointed as a parent in my children when they expressed they had that fear. And if anything, I completely understood the fact that they had fear. And then with that, we were patient with them in their moment of fear. So I can relate to what Peterson says here. And I can ask myself then, as I do you now, well, isn't it how God is then? Isn't God patient with us when we have fear? 
when the doctor tells you it's cancer, it just invokes fear. We know the command, fear not, but we're human. And we can't at that moment overcome the fear of hearing those words. But God is patient with us. As we begin to panic or cry or have this emotional element to kick in, I mean, God is there. He's a presence in our lives to help us, to comfort us, and to assure us that, hey, I, he's in control. If anything, it might remind us that we're not in control that he is. But we have that presence to help us. We can feel him, that he's near. And his presence, then, just like it would be if you're with your child when they begin to have some fear, is helpful. And then when we're overcome by his presence, feel him near us, we can receive the assurance that helps calm us during that moment of fear. So Peterson's answer is kind of helpful that, you know, to know that God is not necessarily disappointed with us in our fear, but is patient with us when we have that moment. And we're not disobeying him. But it brings us back, though, to that command. And it seems to be a command to fear not. I mean, if God is patient with us, providing assurance in the moment that we have to fear. I mean, why command then? Why seem to write it as a command to fear not? Or, or maybe the question now becomes, what does it mean to fear not? Before we maybe explain or answer, let me remind you that God knows you very well. He knows you thoroughly. He knows you better than you may know your child. He knows you better than you may know your spouse. He knows you better than you may know your best friend. I mean, simply God just knows you and knows you better than anyone. He knows when you are worried. He knows when you become anxious or nervous. He even knows it when you try to hide it from everybody else. God knows. So he gives us then many reminders to fear not. So then here's what it means to fear not. To fear not means to simply trust God. Trust God instead of believing that our present situation, wherever it may be, is bigger than God is. Nothing's bigger than God. So God gives us these reminders so he wants us to trust him and to trust that he will be enough no matter what it is that we hear, no matter what it is we're going through, that he's simply enough. He's bigger than all that. He is in control, and we can trust him. And we put that in our frame of mind and put that in our heart, we can begin to have faith over fear. Now, if that's not helpful enough, consider what Matthew, Matthew Henry says in his commentary. He says, the scope of these verses that we read today in Isaiah 41, verses 8 through 14. He said, the scope of this is to silence the fears and encourage the faith, yes, of the servants of God in their time of distress. He says, perhaps, as we've alluded to, it is intended in the first place for the support of God's Israel in captivity. But no, he said, but all that faithfully serve God through patience and comfort of the Scripture may have hope. All of us can have hope that they may depend upon his presence with them as their God, and a God all-sufficient for them in the worst of times. That God will strengthen their hands, 
He will take us by the hand as our guide to lead us in our way. will help us up when we are fallen or prevent our falls. When we are weak, he will hold us up, wavering. He will fix us, trembling. He will encourage us, and so he will silence our fears, saying to thee, fear not. Peterson and Henry make great comments to help us understand what it means to fear not. It can be written as a command, but we're not being disobedient when we begin to have some fear. And it tells us that to fear not means we can rely on the fact that he's going to be there right there with us through anything we're going through. And that God is bigger than any of that. Now, it seems to be a command repeated any time in Scripture. But it ultimately offers every one of us hope that he is with us. He is guiding. He is directing. He is assuring. He is comforting. Ultimately silencing our fear. The Israelites were surely fearful of the onslaught of the Assyrians. So Isaiah proclaims to them, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That verse itself offers help. That verse itself offers strength. But it hinges upon our faith. Yeah, it can be helpful. It can give us strength, but it hinges upon our faith. You know, like believing without seeing. Or like in a relationship with the one we've never physically seen. Our faith. It hinges upon our faith. The relationship we have with Christ, with God. Which leads into our second point of application. Written in verse 10. That God has established a relationship with us. It says, I am your God. Again, verse 10 is the verse we're keen on throughout the entire text. We've already elaborated a little bit upon the beginning of the verse. It says, fear not. But notice how it calls further to be not dismayed. And right after it says, be not dismayed, it says, for I am your God. I am your God. What does it mean? Whenever he says these words, Isaiah says it to the people of Israel. Now we're here for ourselves. We know God is there. He says, I am your God. What does it mean, I am your God? Well, I suggest to you it means that you then, I am your God, means you have accepted Jesus as Lord. And consequently, you have left your old life. You've entered a new life. A life then that is deeply in relationship with God. Or more simply stated, maybe it just says, having trust in God, which reduces fear, comes from having a relationship with Him. I am your God means I am your God, I am in a relationship with you. And when you're in a relationship with God, you have a chance to alleviate all your fears. Let's make sense of that. And the first question that makes sense of that is to just examine ourselves for just a moment. Without making the assumption, examine yourself for a moment and say, well, I mean, I am in a relationship with God, right? Am I in a relationship with God, truly? Because it tells us that the relationship helps us alleviate our fear. 
So when we examine ourselves and say, am I in a relationship with God? And to help analyze then if we are in a relationship with God, let's look at the definition. The definition of relationship, there's two parts. There's first, a connection, association, or involvement. I don't so much like that definition of relationship. I like number two, which is connection between persons by blood or marriage. So focus upon the second part of the definition of a relationship, a connection between persons by blood or marriage. When you consider that second part, I mean, it certainly explains then how you're in a relationship with people near you that love you, your spouse, your children, so forth and so on, parents, things like that, you know. But it also explains how we can all be in relationship by the blood, the blood of Christ, which then applies to all of us personally as Christians, that you are personally connected by the blood of each other and with Jesus by his blood. Which means then that you, by definition, are in a relationship. But are you really in a relationship? Because the difference between blood as your family in a relationship and blood then with Jesus in a relationship is your faith. Think about that for a moment. By definition, the blood is what makes us have a relationship. And we had the relationship with our family by the blood. We may not do anything with our family. We may hate them in some way, some form. But by definition, you're still in a relationship with them by the blood. So apply that then to our lives as Christians and believers. By definition, we are in a relationship with Jesus by the blood. But are you in a relationship truly with him? The difference seems to be if you have faith and exercise your faith. I mean, just look around you for a moment. Many people in here today are related. If you look around, you find that you're related to your family, of course, by the fact that you're in a relationship and the blood, but you listen to even further. You can see them. You can touch them if you wanted to. In fact, you can smack them if you want to. I see why he's reaching over for the husband pretty quickly there. So you can see them, you can touch them, you can hear them. Unless you're like me, losing your hearing. I mean, it's hard for me to hear certain times when Sheila talks to me, but maybe that's selective hearing, right? So you can touch them, see them, hear them. You can text them, you can message them, you can call them, whatever. Look, you can even smell them. You may not like the smell of the people around you, but you can still smell them. So the difference then is the fact that you can do all of this according to your senses, and so you see them, you know them, you hear them, and so that tells you that, yeah, okay, I'm in a relationship with them. But with Jesus, you have none of that. But Jesus, you cannot see, you cannot touch, you cannot smell, you cannot hear. So it requires your faith to be in relationship with him by the blood. So what is faith? Well, let us go further then. Faith is, according to Hebrews, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Boil it down, it simply means believing without seeing. Faith is then believing without seeing. None of us in this room have ever seen Jesus physically. None of us have heard him, touched him. So faith is believing without seeing. Now about fear. Fear can be defined as an unpleasant emotion caused by belief that someone or something is dangerous. 
likely to cause pain or threat. Even further, fear worries about how things will turn out, looking at merely the circumstances, thereby resulting or causing great emotional state of mind and body. That's what fear is. Emotional element. Which is why precisely then we must exercise faith, must be in relationship to overcome any time of fear we have. In short, our relationship with God should alleviate our fear. Let me say it again. Our relationship by the blood with God through His Son Jesus should eliminate our fear. Our relationship, get into relationship with God through Jesus by the blood should eliminate our fear. It's faith over fear, right? That's what we're wearing. Faith over fear. We're supporting Noah today. Faith over fear. But does it really happen? Honestly, in many instances, we're like Peter. And our fear becomes so enormous that it seems the faith over fear, the relationship, it seems it doesn't alleviate the problem of our fear. I may refer to Peter. I mean, you remember Peter, right? I mean, the moment he stepped out of the boat, began to walk on the water, but all of a sudden fear overcame him. In Matthew 22, Jesus had his disciples to get into a boat and instructs them to meet him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. As they are then going across the Sea of Galilee, a sudden wind, perhaps like today, comes upon the boat, makes it a little tipsy. It's tossing and turning about. A little fear enters the disciples. I mean, certainly I would have been fearful because I don't know how to swim. So I found him a boat. I'm going to get a little fearful, as it would have been with them. So pick up the story then in Matthew 22, verse 26. As it's all happening, the wind tossing the boat to and fro, they look up on the horizon. Who do they see? Disciples see him, that's Jesus, in verse 26, walking on the sea. Notice it says, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. Verse 27, Jesus spoke to them, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Listen, do not have fear. Well, Peter answered in verse 28, Lord, if it is you, if, I mean, who else is going to be walking on water? If, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said to Peter, come. Verse 29, Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, you don't see the wind. He felt the wind, right? When he saw the wind, felt the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took a hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Notice with this story, Peter's situation. That Peter's fear was overcome. He had the t-shirt. He was wearing the hat. No fear. He had no fear while he had his eyes fixed on Jesus. But when he took his eyes off of Jesus, what happened? He immediately went down. Just like we do. When we start letting the wind and the waves come crashing upon our lives, that begin to scare us and have fear because eclipse our faith. We simply let our emotions begin to control us rather than our faith. 
Have you ever fully considered how your emotions affect your life? They do. I mean, love, for example, influences your feelings, your behavior, even your looks. And the same then really applies to our fear, how fear can affect our thoughts and our conduct and even our health. Fear seems to have the power to hold you back from what God wants to accomplish in your life. Referring again to Charles Stanley, he says, each of us, each of us will face fear at some point. It is what we do with it that matters most. He said, we must claim our position as God's children, be in that relationship with him. We have the power. We have the power to overcome fear. We apply his word to our lives. It takes being in a relationship with it tells us we must have the relationship. We must keep the faith constantly. Allow faith to overcome fear. Again, admittedly, I know it's, it's easier to say than it is to do. It's easier to say than it is to do. But that's where the relationship comes into play. I mean, when you're in a deep, intimate relationship with God the Father, with Jesus as Lord, the Holy Spirit to control your thoughts and actions, then faith presides over fear. Let me say it again and look at it behind me. When you're in a deep, intimate relationship, a deep, intimate relationship with God the Father, Jesus as Lord, the Holy Spirit to control your thoughts and actions, when you're in that moment, living it each day, then faith presides over fear. That's how you can say faith over fear. That's why you can wear the shirt. That's how Nora can get by each and every day. Or the things that Dan's going to face next week. Or that Tom felt last week or two. Or the end of his face with the missing of Ray. We've had a lot to happen here. The year's really just four months in. We hate to think about it, short of the fact that much more can happen. But it takes faith over fear, and it begins by having a relationship with God. We do not want to let fear drive us. Because when you do, it can cripple you. It can make you sick. And certainly fall short of all God wants to do in your life. And you remember, the scripture tells us that we are beautiful. God had written in one, Psalms 139.14 says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Not only are you beautiful, but you're chosen. 1 Peter 2.4, rejected by men, but inside of God, you're chosen and you're precious. You're made with specific reason and purpose. As written in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. You take all that consideration, and the next time fear arises in your life, it's bound to happen. The next time fear arises, turn your attention in wholeheartedly fully to God. Remember, you're in a relationship with him. You're exercising your faith. Turn your spirit directly to his. Replace every fearful thought with faith and trusting him. He is in control. Be in a relationship. Let God have it. Nothing is bigger than God. And when you do that, enter that relationship 
exercise that faith and trust him, knowing nothing's bigger than God. That's how you know you can say and live faith over fear. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this message today. Pretty timely for all of us, Lord. Many things happening, has happened, will happen within the church family we have here, Lord. So we take a moment today, Lord, reflect upon a text that helps us exercise faith. Put ourselves in a right relationship with you, Lord, to know how we can truly have faith over fear. Lord, personally and just for all of us together, we know that we can always depend on you to be near us, to guide us, to lead us, to help us. Lord, you're with us through any storm of life, and we're thankful for that. So, Lord, let us today reflect upon the fact that you're in control. We're not. We may even be scared of the fact that we're no longer in control. Maybe we never realize the fact that we simply are not in control, but you are. So that, hey, let's just trust you and believe in you. Let's enter the intimate relationship with you to know that you have anything, Lord, for us. You'll take it. You'll make it better. You'll make it stronger for us. We love you. We praise you, Lord. Today we have faith over our fear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.